GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for iOS, Android, Xamarin, and more. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Enjoy incredibly detailed error and crash diagnostics for every web and mobile programming language, plus performance monitoring to discover the biggest performance bottlenecks impacting your users. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. Head on over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and build better software. And make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. How you been, John? Uh, pretty good. I just got back from another vacation, which uh, seems like I've been away a lot, but uh, ready to get back to work and kind of disappointed that data here for mobile phones in Canada is just way more expensive than in Portugal. Mm, yeah, it's a, that must be tough. <laughs> So yeah, I feel like I feel like we've had a lot of episodes where where your your sort of intro is just got back from vacation. Do you do you work? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, occasionally here and there. Although yeah, I will say this year, both vacations, I brought no computer. Well, the one I brought a computer with me. This one I didn't, uh, and it's wow. it's so wonderful to take a break and be disconnected. That's a gutsy move. Yeah, I need one of those. Well, oh, well, I'm glad at least you're taking vacations for the both of us. So yeah, so I'll, so next I'll... episode. We have to talk about your vacation when uh, you're coming back to work. I could use one of those, but 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 anyway, that's that's a subject for for a future episode. But today, I'm I'm, I'm really excited to to welcome Eric Sink to the show, who who's probably pretty well known to a lot of folks listening to this, um, and has been around the the community for for a while, doing a lot of awesome stuff. But somehow, we've never had you on the show, so um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, like I said, this is this is long overdue, I think. Um, and I think before we we dig in, we have some some recent stuff to to talk through of of you know what you've been working on and, and some interesting things around that. But for anyone who who might not be familiar with with you somehow, um, you know, could you speak a little bit to to some of your history and what you've worked on? Uh, sure. We uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I work for a company called Source Gear, and uh, we are a small firm in the Midwest, um, privately held. And we've been doing various software things for 20-odd years or so. Um, we do some custom software work, and then we, uh, from time to time, we try and um, spin out one of our own products. And uh, uh, folks in the .NET community might remember us from uh, way back in the day when we did SourceGear Vault, which was our version control tool. And uh, believe it or not, it is still selling. So <laughs> I was actually going to ask exactly that, because um, I actually used uh, the, the company I was at prior to, to the one I'm at now. We used Vault for for a while so i was curious how active that still was it's it's remarkable um how well it has held up uh, people are very resistant to change when it comes to their version control tool and you might get the impression that git has taken over the whole world and, and in some ways it has but um a, lum, a number of other tools, including vault have have a, a little niche following that remains uh, pretty pretty devoted that's cool um, so, so outside of, of Vault, then, since since I just sort of interrupted you with with my sort of side question there, um, you know, what else have you been doing? And I know you, you've done a, a lot of stuff in the the Xamarin space as well, right? Uh, that's right. We um, we we've played around in a number of different ways with Xamarin. Um, you know, one of the things that we also still have going is a a product called Zoomero, which is a 
a data synchronization tool, uh, really library, I should say. And uh, most of our customers there are are Xamarin based. Not all of them. We we do support support some other platforms. Um, and, and you know it's you know it's worth mentioning. Um, our history includes, you know, a number of failures too. I mean, we tried to do a version control tool called Veracity, and that was a total disaster. And because <laughs> in that sense, Git really did take over the world. Um, and um, and then there's our our latest thing, which uh, I've been blogging about a little bit, which is totally new for us. It's called Peptown, and it's a uh, it's a fundraising app for high school sports teams. So it's the first thing we've done, uh, probably the first thing ever we've done that isn't trying to. Uh, uh, target developers as the customer, so so that's a new experience. Yeah, so as as a customer facing thing or like an end user facing thing, you know, I'm curious if you could go into a little bit more detail about what Peptown, like how it actually works, and you know what the motivation was for you to build this. So, I mean, the basic idea of Peptown is that. Um, if you are a high school sports team, um, one of the differences you have with college and pro sports teams is that you don't get revenue from media. So, I mean, you don't have radio broadcast. People don't buy your uh, rights to radio broadcasts and sell ads. Um, what you do is you create printed programs and you sell ads in the printed program to insurance agents and car dealers and whatever in your town. Well, what we're trying to do is bring these concepts into the smartphone age with an app that basically takes the place of a printed program, um, lets people buy ads, and it also takes the place to some extent of a radio broadcast, but not currently with audio, by allowing you to do uh, live updates of scores and things like that. I mean, it's the kind of thing that some sports teams use Twitter for, but we're trying to put it all into a structured package where you're delivering content for your fans and that content can be sponsored by sponsors, by companies or, or even individuals. We support this thing called uh, personal shout out ads like they do in high school theater programs where people put in little ads saying, Joey, great job as the music man. We love you. You know, and, and all these things are just ways for people to support the team and we pass through 90% of the revenue to the school, and we keep 10% to cover our costs, including the transaction fees. So, you know, it's like I said, it's fun. I'm curious because you mentioned, you know, this is kind of replacing a printed program that they, I'm assuming they might have actually sold the the printed program itself to to people, or was this like? I'm curious what the what kind of change in in sort of revenue for these schools you've seen who've adopted Peptown. So it's um, what we're finding so far is that people's uh, schools approach to the printed program is all over the map. I mean, we, you know, there, there's no pattern yet. Um, we have cases where the school, we, you know, we get into the school, we find out, well, our printed program is done entirely by the junior class and they use the revenue to fund their prom. Um, <laughs> we have other cases where our printed program uh, only really supports the football team, and all the other teams are included as a courtesy, and they have no, they get no money from it. Um, and then the pricing of the ads, when you open one of these printed programs, you see an ad from a realtor, for example, and, and the pricing of the ads is all over the map. So um, we're trying to be as accommodating as possible to the diversity of uh, of um, situations that people use to create money for their sports teams. 
Yeah, it sounds like a pretty interesting system to build and, and one that ultimately has to be pretty flexible, which can be both, I guess, interesting and annoying, depending on the, the type of flexibility you're going for. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more. I, I know we want to dig into the, the sort of front end side of it and, and the, the mobile app side. But before we get there, I'm curious um, what you can speak to in terms of the, the back end that, that you had to build to support all this stuff. It sounds like there's a lot of data, a lot of like real time push type stuff. That's true, um, and it's uh, it's an area that I want to do some more blogging about as well. Um, the back end is is all .NET Core. Um, we keep the the data in uh, Postgres. Um, in general, it, it is designed uh, around this idea that um, new information is pushed out to clients. What what the clients do is they they tell the server, here's what I'm interested in. We call that a subscribe. And, it, and um, when something changes, that information gets pushed out. So a typical app will have you know, a user saying, I'm interested in the volleyball information for this school. And the, the server has to keep track of that. Uh, we've done kind of the usual thing, which was uh, we built the server um, perhaps with um, – well, we built it to scale out, not up. And uh, so we built it um, to handle the scale we would need for our wildly successful dreams, which isn't always the smartest thing to do right up front. Sometimes you just want to build it crappy. <laughs> um, but in any case, um, we uh, when I say the server, it's really like seven servers because, you know, there's various ways to add additional servers to support load and things like that. And, you know, like I said, there's some things that I want to write about. I, I, I think some of the stuff we've done might be interesting there, but um, that, that definitely was a major component of the project. So Postgres, that's kind of an interesting choice from a, for a .NET developer in some ways, I feel like. Um, I'm curious if there's any particular parts of, of that database en engine that helped with either like the sort of the real-time messaging or anything like that? Like what made you go to that backend as a, a data source? So, I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you want the high-level answer or the low-level answer, but the, the, the forest answer is sort of, I am um, probably more um, closely related to SQLite than I am to SQL Server. I love SQLite. I use it all for all kinds of things. The app obviously uses SQLite inside. And my experience with SQLite, uh, one of the things that happen, has happened is that um, Dr. Hip, Richard Hip, who created SQLite, his, he's kind of a PostgreSQL fanboy. And that has rubbed off on me a little bit. <laughs> Um, so that's the forest answer. The trees answer it w it could be all kinds of details. One of them is I hate the fact that SQL Server can't do deferred foreign keys in a transaction. You know, when you're, I mean, you have to, when you're doing transactions that involve foreign keys in SQL Server, you have to make sure that operations are all done in order or else it throws a fit. Whereas Postgres and SQLite both, you can just say, sort all this and tell me at the end when it's, you know, if it's broken. That's just one little nitpick, but those are the kinds of things that have helped me remain a PostgreSQL fanboy um, over over time. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely an interesting answer. I mean, part of me was kind of expecting you to just say cost because <laughs> SQL Server doesn't scale in a, in a very affordable way, depending on what your budget looks like. <laughs> Certainly cost is a factor because 
there again, we're passing through 90% to the school. Um, right. Somewhere along the way, when we started doing math on the business side of the things, we were like, man, our margins, you know, we, <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to operate this way, we need to save every penny. So, but even, you know, largely there are some reasons to prefer Postgres uh, for our case anyway, s simply technical reasons. So, Sure. And I'd be also interested to hear kind of, bef again, you know, just a little bit more on the, the the back end side of things, you know, if there are any interesting security concerns that you had to take. I mean, I imagine that, um, and I'm sort somewhat sensitive to this as well. I guess given my day job and you know taking things like PII seriously, especially if you have any PII on your side around you know students and you know young folks, um, did you have to take any any special concerns around protecting that or, or securing that data? Well, I mean, one of our um... One of our approaches here is to um, have as little personal data as we can. Um, now, the fact is, um, if you're going to put information about students into an app, I mean, one of our arguments is going to be something like, well, if you're putting it in your printed program, you can put it in your app. But that's not entirely true. Um, <laughs> the fact is also that there are, there really isn't another app out there like ours that is focused on fundraising, but there are tons of apps out there that deal with high school students and, um, and sports record keeping apps and various apps that, you know, that deal, that help schools. And so we are trying to follow the best practices that we see from people who have gone before us. Um, but like I said, in some cases, you know, for example, for the users of our app, you know, we do support Facebook login, but we don't ask Facebook for anything except your name. You know, just things like that. Um, and and I suspect we're going to learn more along the way about what we need to do and what we need to, what's appropriate. So, so we've talked a little bit about the the back end side of things, and now I think it's time to kind of go into the the what I find more interesting part anyway is the <laughs> sorry the <John>. mobile <laughs> side of things. Uh, we all have to deal with all parts of it, right? Um, but I, I'm like to hear a little bit about like just a high level kind of overview to start before we dig in like what technologies did you use for the mobile app and, and how did you go about creating it so um so yeah the well the mobile app is is xamarin based um it's uh we do support ios and uh, android um and it is xamarin forms um Although it, it wasn't always, we, we took a little bit of a winding road when we were um, building this app and tried some things that didn't work and had to throw away some things and, and so forth. Um, but the end result is that we are, um, we are using Xamarin Forms. Um, that has been overall a positive experience, although I think I, one of the things I point out in, in a blog entry I wrote is that we don't use, there's parts of Xamarin Forms we don't use, and I wonder if our experience would be less positive if we did. Um, but it, uh, so like one of the things that it, Xamarin Forms has given us is that um, I actually do most of my development on Windows 10. And so I actually do a whole lot of my initial testing and development work um, with UWP, which is a platform we don't ship, <laughs> but it's just been real handy. So that's that's actually really funny. Just I mean, just to to take a quick diversion based on that, I've actually had that exact conversation 
with, I think, five to 10 different people in the last you know month or so, where we all sort of like simultaneously discovered that we were all secretly doing this of using UWP as a prototyping thing. But then the moment it gets in your way, you're like, okay, well, now I'll go to the platforms I'm actually going to ship, which says, says something about how nice it, I guess it is to develop for UWP, but how little interest there is in, in shipping for it. Um, so, you know, anyway, I, I just found it fascinating that, you know, now this just came up again without being prompted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you you asked about our stack, and so there we are. <laughs> That's funny. So, so I'm curious too. Uh, there's definitely a lot of you know the sort of quirks and, and interesting ways that that you're actually using Xamarin Forms that I want to dig into. Um, I'm kind of curious at at a high level before we get to that. I mean, you said you took sort of a winding road to to get to Xamarin Forms, which I'm assuming means you had you know a variety of different approaches. Like, what what made you end up landing on Xamarin Forms, especially if you're not really leveraging you know a lot of what most people would consider you know most of Xamarin Forms. Um, okay, so the the flippant answer to that question is that um, I, I felt like writing native Android code was taking years off my life <laughs> and I just hated it. That's fair. Um, <laughs> so for a while we were, you know, building, um, native, you know, UI kit on iOS and Android, you know, was, was done. I mean, and when I say native, I mean, we were still using Xamarin, but we were using Xamarin native and, um, the, at some point along the way, we started to realize that uh, we weren't really getting anything for that. Um, we we got there by reading the the standard guidance. You know, if you go look for people, how do you choose between Xamarin Native and Xamarin Forms? What you find is is a whole bunch of high level information that, and reading that information doesn't give you what you would gain by by getting the experience of walking the path, and so. We tried walking the path, and in the end, uh, we came to the realization that, you know, for what we're doing, Xamarin Forms would work just fine. And then we tried to validate that by looking for other people who used Xamarin Forms and seemed okay with it, and like their life didn't crash. And <laughs> it's a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and um, so we tr we took a risk. Now. To be fair, I should admit that when we decided to go Xamarin Forms, it was sort of experimental. And I, I, I believe the way I expressed it to my team around me was that uh, I think I want to date Xamarin Forms, but not marry it. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to commit. Um, so that's part of the way that we ended up with this division of our code base where we're on Xamarin Forms, but about 90% of our code doesn't know that. Uh, I think it's kind of an interesting question to ask too. Like, just uh, the the case of like timing. So, how long have you been working on this? Like, when did you first start with Xamarin Forms? Because I feel like you know we the you, the advice used to be more around um, use native for parts that you really care about, and use Xamarin Forms maybe for stuff that's more complex to do on on each native side. But developing an app myself, and I'm I'm obviously biased, but you know I I am still a user of the product too, and I've found that like in the last Oh, I don't know, year or two even. Um, that story has changed a lot. Like Xamarin Forms is much more capable than it used to be. So I'm really curious what the timeline around when you started is. 
Well, okay, so to answer that, I have to um, admit how long it took us to build this, and that's embarrassing. <laughs> so, uh, but but I'll just admit it. About two years. Uh, we, we've been, you know, between server, client, app, yeah. all those kinds of stuff. You know, we've been doing some other stuff along the way as well. So building it in parallel. But yeah, you know, this took like two years. And uh, but we've been on Xamarin Forms for probably eighteen months of that. I mean, when I talk about the stuff we tried that didn't work out, that was that was the first six months probably. Cool. And out of it, out of curiosity as well, I mean, so I mean, you kind of called out the you know defining Android UIs as as being the pain point there. I'm curious to know like what sort of style of UI were you or like UI development were you doing on the iOS side? Were you doing it based in code or storyboards or? Uh, we were in code uh, mostly. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think back. See, I, I've I've repressed this part of my life. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are bringing it up again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Uh, well, to to be honest, that during that phase, a lot of the the grunge of the iOS part was actually being done by another developer. And so one one thing to point out is that I was primarily doing the Android parts. Another guy was primarily doing the iOS parts. And okay. so my memory of the iOS parts is less, uh, it is more fuzzy. Right. Um, uh, and that's it, also why the trauma I have is associated with the Android work. So that, that makes sense. I mean, UI work on any platform is, you know, hairy. And I, I know people who love Android and hate iOS and love iOS and hate Android. So I was just curious to know how that sort of split aligned there. Um, but especially if you were doing a lot of this in code, I could see how that might translate over to, to liking the sort of Xamarin form style better of, you know, because because again, I mean, I think you mentioned not using XAML at all for your Xamarin form stuff now, right? That's all still code driven. Yeah, that's true. That's is true. that because you know you're doing like a heavy customization of of the UI, you know, for different like white label kind of approach, or is it just purely you know preference on not using XAML? I, I that's a really good question. One I I expected to get, and one I don't have a great answer for. You know, one answer is that I just like C sharp. I like code. Um, I don't. Part of it is um, my tendency to like lower level things. So, I mean, I'm a guy who once wrote a C compiler in C. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> I like low level stuff. And um, XAML always feels to me like three levels of abstraction laid on top of C sharp. And it's laid on top for the, to make things easier for people who like it. But I'm just as comfortable, probably even more comfortable, just trimming those layers off and using C Sharp myself. So, I mean, that's kind of a. The, the, I suppose the answer I'm giving is I'm a control freak. <laughs> that's fair. That's why development can be fun, right? You have full control. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. So, so, so you're not using XAML then, or um, and I think you mentioned not really using the the binding system. Like what? What are you actually using from from Xamarin Forms? Like, are you using its built-in services like navigation or any of the the service location type stuff? Uh, no. Um, the really the the only parts we're using, I would say, are the essentially they it gives us cross-platform wrappers around widgets. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a button, even a list view. I mean, we we use list views, uh, although you know, I wish the 
cell life cycle is uh, in Xamarin forms doesn't feel completely cross-platform. You have to know things about how they differ on the different platforms. Um, but probably even bigger than that, the biggest thing we use is um, the the layouts and styling. I mean, so we have this whole layer of our app that does layout. You know, things have to be placed on a screen. <laughs> and um, Probably twice I've sat down and did a git clone of the Xamarin Forms tree and started trying to create a Xamarin Forms subset that just has what I want, the layouts. And I, you know, both times I just kind of gave up because it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but there's, you know, the the layout system uh, is arguably the biggest part that we use other than the, um, you know, like I said, cross-platform wrappers around basic controls. And now, given that you're doing cross-platform code for your UI and you know all that sort of thing, I'm, I'd like to hear how much you know platform-specific code you've actually had to do in your apps. Like, did you get away with mostly shared code, or what was the story there? Um, and when you say platform-specific, you're you're referring to like Android-specific, iOS-specific. Yes. Yeah. I mean, right now, the amount of platform-specific code uh, it rounds to zero. Hmm. Um, I mean, for example, you know, we we don't have a custom renderer in the code right now. Um, one of the <laughs> uh, we do have one that's uh, waiting to be merged in <laughs> um, because uh, somebody on the team wanted a, a certain effect and and used a custom renderer to get it. And you know, we we very well, very well may cross that bridge, but at the moment we don't have any, and we haven't needed any. Oh, that's that's pretty great to hear too. Um, so, kind of stepping away from the the Xamarin Forms specific side of that, then, like, let's talk about what you actually are doing and and how that abstraction layer kind of works. So, I mean, I think in the in the blog post you mentioned having effectively a, a DSL for defining view models. Yes, um, that's uh, you know there again that's a little bit of me being a control freak, I suppose. Um, we so. How to approach this? I mean, we started out trying to write every every view model by hand, and um, it's not like I sat down and decided to create a DSL uh, before I did anything. The, what I did was I we started creating every view model by hand, and then I started noticing common things, and I refactored that out, and and the the process just kind of ended up merging into well here's a representation of a view model and i'll just generate the code from the representation and in the end that has worked out really well for us but it's a crazy path to think about going there to start you know it it happened very organically so what is that representation then that you're you're using to to generate those view models so the representation is a uh, i mean I call it a, a DSL, um, but it doesn't have a textual syntax. It's a it's a set of data structures, and we construct those data structures, those classes, with C# -sharp code. And the C# -sharp is a fluent API, and it it contains things like uh, create view model, and then uh, the the next line of the fluent API is something like add data data model from this table, add data model from this table, and have it automatically loaded from the foreign key of the first one. Um, then uh, add a button, add an action for the button, um, things like that. 
at a at a property that is composed from two others. Um, and it's a very it's a very narrow language you, with the word language in air quotes. Um, but it's it's also very um, uh, RX centric. I mean, everything is an observable. Um, everything you know, it just has the set of nouns and verbs that can be added on, and and it's arguably you know. It's arguably rather Peptown specific. Um, I, I like to think it's not because um, when I'm writing this, the the tooling around this DSL, I'm usually trying to put myself in a mindset that isn't about Peptown. That it's like you know, this is what I would do if I were building something general. But on the other hand, if I actually tried to use this for another app, it would fail miserably, and I would you know there would be lots of pain, and it would get better through that pain, but. So is there actual like code generation happening with this or is this more of like uh, you're creating like properties in a, a dictionary or something on the fly as you build it at runtime? It actually is code generation. Okay. And um, which has been weird for me because I, I feel like um, I feel like a lot of the rest of the world has moved on from code generation and it's, it's gotten a bad name. Um, and I don't, I don't fully get why, because I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have this representation. I, it generates a whole bunch of C-sharp code. It even uses T4. Huh? Uh, <laughs> and, and it's become cool to, to hate on T4. You know, like, like in high school when the way to get popular is to uh, be unkind to the right people. Well, it's, it, <laughs> <laughs> you can become cool by hating on T4. And the fact is, I, I kind of like T4. And so I guess I'm not cool. But, but oh. it's working great. I, I've definitely used and abused T4, and it, it works really well for, for what it does. My, my main gripes with it historically were just, you know, it was, it was generally kind of tricky to, to debug and, you know, get right. But once you once I had it sort of right and, and done, things just kind of work. I mean, we still have, um, in our mobile code base at the company I'm at, we still have some T4 that generates, like, mocks based on interfaces to help test so we don't have to maintain that stuff by hand. So. So I'm definitely team code gen when when it makes sense. Yeah, we we just introduced a bunch of code that we generate C sharp projects with Razor templates based on a bunch of information from like Maven. So I'm I'm team template too. <laughs> awesome. So then, so so getting back to to what's actually being generated here. Um, so it it sounds like the source is is very sort of data centric. It's coming from you know joining this you know, drawing from tables or or whatever your your data sources are there. Um, where does behavior come into play? Like, how, how do you add, do your view models have behavior? Are they basically sort of DTOs or observables? Or like, how, where does an actual like app logic come into play? So, you know, in, some behaviors can be expressed in the in the quasi-DSL. Like, if you're, if when you say behavior, you know, one of the things you mean is um, add a record to the coach's table or, uh, update the the coach record to fix their name or something like that. You know those kinds of things can often be expressed in the the same place that we express that other stuff. But then there's other cases where the the language isn't powerful enough, and uh, so the um, the entry in the DSL will have something like add button action handwritten, and um, what it will do is it will add a call to something that will fail. 
because it hasn't been handwritten. And then somewhere in the in the uh, handwritten part of the code, we have partial class, coach record, and then we add the method there. And uh, so th there are cases where we have to do that. But a lot of the common cases we don't. So like, you know, one of the things that has been so tedious um, is all the cases where you're just trying to make sure if a button is supposed to be enabled or disabled. <laughs> That's like the you classic know? MVVM demo, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we try to express all of that in the DSL. Um, and, and I've probably rewritten that code six times. And I, you know, at the moment I'm happy with it, but you know, it's April, so it's an even numbered month, which means in May I'll be unhappy with it. And, but, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get the, the language rich enough to express the logic around when to enable a button and when to disable it, you know, that's all trying to be there in the DSL. But like I said, not all behaviors and things like that are. Right. And then how do, how do things end up getting wired up to, to the actual UI then? So I, you mentioned not using the Xamarin Forms binding system. So I assume you're not just exposing like regular commands that the, the Xamarin Forms side knows about. Um, and you also have your own sort of abstraction that you talked about between your at this app layer and Xamarin Forms itself. So, so where does that wiring um, kind of take place and how does that manifest? So the, the code generator, um, it's all Rx-based, first of all. And the, uh, the code generator expects something to call it and say, here are your controls. And um, so for every control on a page, um, the code generator will, uh, will generate an, a property that is an observable, a set of observables for that control. So, for example, if it's a label, the, you know, um, the, the, lab the text of the label has to get there. That's an, obviously a trivial, trivial case. But, um, and then... And then there's this this layer that, unfortunately, is still called binding. Um, it, it's binding.cs, <laughs> and um, and that's because it once was Xamarin Forms bindings, but it just organically grew and changed to the point where it now takes the the place that binding conceptually is, <laughs> but it's really just ex an exchange of observables, data flowing in, data flowing out. Button clicks flow out, button labels flow in, and uh, uh, so it's a. In essence, I sort of re-implemented binding with with an RX style. Right, and considering you know how the context of all of this and how you designed and architected the app, you know what does your testing story look like? Um, our testing story is complicated. Because <laughs> uh, we we test in a lot of different ways, um, you know, it, we we do you know what a lot of people do is just basic ad hoc testing where we gather a bunch of people around the table and pretend like we're students and coaches and um, use the app. Um, but one of the things that we've been able to do testing wise is. Um, in terms of automated testing, we have this layer where we pretend that we have scripts that pretend like they're users. And um, on a whim one day, I, I basically opened up a new project and said, I wonder if I could create um, an, an implementation of Xamarin Forms that doesn't have a UI. And so um, 
it, it, it was a crazy idea at the time, and it ended up working really well. It, it's uh, uh, it's not a Xamarin Forms platform layer. It's like an entire replacement for the parts of Xamarin Forms we use. And so, Xamarin Forms button in this in this little proxy, so to speak, is not really a button. It's just a data structure that pretends to be a button and exposes. Uh, hooks that I can use to write scripts, and so I can write scripts that say tap on this button. And uh, and that, like I said, it has it's a weird idea, but it has worked out uh, quite well because we can write scripts that navigate all through the app in a virtual sense. Um, and you know, we the scripts have this thing where they um, they try and display the state of. Uh, each view model on the screen, but for that implementation, we don't do layouts, and so we just we just sort the controls and alphabetically and display them on the console. <laughs> Things like that. That's really interesting. It sounds like you you have your own sort of virtual DOM kind of implementation there that you could just do it at whim. Um, like, did you explore doing any actual, say, like UI testing with you know Xamarin UI Test or any of those sorts of libraries? Not yet. I, I think we will want to, but um, for now, we've um, most of our automated testing has been focused on this uh, this fake Xamarin Forms layer. Yeah, and I could I I would at least imagine that that's going to be a heck of a lot faster than uh, than having to spin up an actual app too, especially if you're getting the type of accurate the same sort of accuracy from that fake layer there. Yeah, it it certainly allows us to run run tests much more quickly. Because they're really just .NET Core console apps. Yep. So if you had to start over again today, is there anything that you would change in the approach that you took? <laughs> um, I'm sure there there is. Um, wow, that's a really interesting question. Certainly, th there's a number of dumb things I did. I would not do them again. <laughs> um, largely, I... Um, largely I like where we are and, and in fact um, my tendency to be a control freak and write my own um, has not has not punished me yet I mean there's always a downside to that you, you know you, you, you be a control freak you write your own instead of you know um, the not invented here syndrome you know, there's I, I've I've had a little bit of not invented here syndrome in some of the things I've done here, and uh, and I haven't had to pay for that yet, and so that means I might do it even more, and that's not necessarily good, but but it's an honest answer to the question. At least you're self-aware, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I I should clarify too um, is that. Um, I'm not the only one here working on this, um, even though I sometimes speak in the first person singular. Um, but I've done enough of it that uh, probably the dumb stuff is my fault. So <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll take the credit personally, but I'll take the blame personally, but the credit as a group. <laughs> so, and I mean, before you mentioned that you thought this might not translate so well into like another app that it might be kind of specific, but I'm curious if you ultimately have any plans to start extract the bits that you think would work elsewhere and, and open source it. I would love to do that. Um, it, it's it's not you know it's not an immediate priority, um, but there are 
you know, there are big pieces of this that I would like to open source if anybody else cared. You know, sometimes you open source something and nobody wants it. And, uh, you know, obviously that's not worth the trouble. But, um, yeah, there's a there's a secret desire on my part to take, you know, this this app framework that I've built, remove the Peptown specific parts, package it up and see if anybody else likes it. Um, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it definitely seems like a really interesting, you know, case study and, you know, and maybe you can even, you know, maybe blogging and, and sharing snippets ends up being, you know, achieving the same sort of thing without you having to completely rip out the guts of an app to, to share it. But um, it definitely seems like an interesting approach and, and different from the, the normal path. Well, I, I don't know that it's the path for everybody. Um, yeah. It's honestly, I, I think any reasonable person would look at what I've done and say, you, you don't want the, to always do your apps this way. <laughs> uh, but I probably am not the only one in the, on the planet who wants to do their apps this way. And so, you know, in so far as that's true, there are pieces of this that I'd like to share and, you know, we'll see how it goes. So you've got, you've got iOS and, and Android clients here. Are there any plans for a web version as well? Uh, there are. Um, this is another um, item near the top of my blog entries I want to write list. Uh, we have actually been experimenting with Frank Krueger's uh, OOUI library and uh, have um, submitted a number of pull requests to, to him for that to get things uh, going better. We have the whole app running under OOUI, and you know the first thing I'll just say is um, it, that library is remarkable. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how functional the app is um, with so little effort. Now, at the same time, when we're talking about an app that we're trying to promote to literally soccer moms, <laughs> um, it's is it up to the level of, of polish for a consumer-level app? No, not yet. Uh, it's, but... The fact that it works at all is just amazing. So, well, I'd appreciate if you kept working on it for me, so that by the time I get ready to give it another look with my app, I can just reap all the benefits that you've uh, given. <laughs> That'll be fine. I, I honestly hope that we are able to push that through to, you know, to completion, such that it's, it's our web story. You know, we're not there yet, but. So far, the experimental work we've done has been really positive. So anything that you can share with us, what's coming next? Anything big you're working on? Um, let's see. I don't know. I mean, in terms of other than Peptown? Yeah, either or. Yeah. I mean, our challenge with Peptown right now is largely marketing, not technical. You know, we, we shipped a few months ago, and so we just have to get the word out and all that. Technical-wise, I mean, I've got a few things I'm stewing about, but nothing, you know, nothing that uh, I'm ready to talk about, nothing that will necessarily change the world. But uh, I've got, my, like, like I've hinted, my, my list of blog entries to write is, is fairly long right now, so there's a bunch of stuff I want to do. It's good. We can leave something for, for coming back for future episodes, right? Very good. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Eric, I, I remember when we were originally kind of going back and forth, you, you, you seemed unsure of whether there'd be uh, you know, enough to talk about for an interesting episode. So um, I'm pretty sure we, we've proven that, that invalid. And I think this was a, a pretty awesome walk through a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. So really appreciate you coming on. 
Excellent. Well, I appreciate it very much. This has been an enjoyable chat. Likewise. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile.